It's Amber Bradley, your host for the unscripted side of LP. It's Talk LP Podcast time. All right, it's Talk LP Podcast time. I'm Amber Bradley, your host, and super excited to have our guest today, Susan Retta from NRF, VP of Educational Strategy and former editor of Stores Magazine for a dozen years. Okay, she's all, I'm also a super fan because she lives my dream life with the editor of a magazine. Welcome, Susan. Wow, that's quite, <laughs> quite an intro. I, I built humbled. it up. <laughs> Thank you, Amber. <laughs> well, no, it's true. I mean, we talked about the fact that I was like full on your stalker ever since I was in really public relations way back in the day because Stores was the thing to get your information in. And uh, man, it was, it, it's a staple in the retail world. And as things have evolved, right, moving into digital content, um, very cool. But thank you so much for being on the podcast. I know I, 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 I lived up to my stalker name to get you on the podcast. Oh, so. <laughs> that is so funny. Well, thank you. I'm glad you did. I, it is a privilege to be here. Um, as you know, I come into this saying, wait, I don't know a ton about LP, but you know, to your point, I have been like swimming in retail for my entire career. So I'm ready to talk. Yeah, that's awesome. And we talked about this, right? Where I'm not a haven't been a practitioner either. But I think what is so cool about kind of the journalistic aspect of this is you know how to ask questions, right? As an outsider, you know, probing into what people really want to know because we want to know it. So yeah. it's like you we know what questions to ask, even as an outsider. And and I'm I'm so glad that you could come on and we could just talk a little bit about retail and predictions and NRF and what NRF has going on. Um, super cool. So give our audience, you know, your brief bio, kind of talking about your career so people can really get the gist of it. Okay. So my career started in the hosiery industry. So my first job out of school was for a, a, a magazine called Hosiery and Underwear. <laughs> you know what you say, like, you're just going to take that job and you're, you're going to get that foot in the door. Well, yeah. I got a foot in the there door. There you go. Um, but anyway, it, it was a springboard. So um, from there, I it, that was a publication that was um, put out by Harcourt Brace Yovanovich. So how does that take you back? We always yeah. remember that yeah. in terms of textbooks. Yeah. Um, then I eventually moved over to Labar Friedman and worked at apparel merchandising magazine, also no longer in existence, but had a chance to explore different categories. Uh, so it, back then we used to cover retail by covering um, in the apparel industry, specifically the area of expertise. So I went into intimate apparel and then swimwear and I'm going to eventually dress the whole body and then sort of decided to have children. Um, and it was while I was um, on maternity leave that I began working freelance for stores. And stores was always certainly had a merchandising marketing uh, slant, but also a more, more business acumen to it. Um, and so that was kind of a learning curve for me. Um, but the beauty of stores was that, again, it was like different exposure to the retail industry. And, um, and when I hit that stride with stores, eventually transferring from freelance to full-time work, 
I covered a whole bunch of different beats. And so e-commerce was new at the time. Yeah. That's that's how old I am. But um, <laughs> but I had that opportunity to get in on the ground floor and learn it and hear from people like Elaine Rubin, who talked about, you know, calling her boss at and saying, this is something we have to do. I think at the time she was at like at one eight hundred flowers and saying, like, we have to do this, and this is why we have to do it. Now, I may have that wrong, but just the, the real pioneers in this industry um, who you know went to the first shop.org conference when I swear to you, it was like a science fair. I mean, there were poster boards <laughs> and lines about how this so-called internet was going to work. Um, but it was also while I was there that I had the opportunity to learn more about the loss prevention industry. And so that for a period of time was my beat so to speak. Um, and I come from a family steeped in police tradition. So um, my curiosity and my ability to ask questions about loss prevention was just right at the tip of my tongue. I was just so curious about it. And uh, so I kind of grew up um, in the years of like Joe LaRocca leading our team at NRF. And, you know, God bless him. He was always the, um, always willing to say, you know, come on, sit in my office. What do you want to know? And, and I'd be like the blithering idiot. Like I want to know. Joe makes like, everybody feel smart. <laughs> I love that guy. He absolutely does. And he would just kind of walk me through. Well, let's, let me tell you what's, what we're all thinking about in the LP arena. Yeah. And it just, you know, all those talks do begin to crystallize and you learn something. And then I would go back and try to figure out what we were going to write about. Um, so over the years, you know, I, the opportunity to, um, to have touch in all of those spaces has completely stoked my passion for retail. But uh, I had the opportunity to, to be the editor for, as you said, probably about a dozen years. I, I have to be honest, I lost count. But, um, but like, so many trade publications, you know, advertising support wasn't as as robust as we needed it to be, and the industry was changing and the world was changing. Um, and so, eventually, what was Stores Magazine has now um, become the NRF blog. Um, and blog is a word that a lot of people bring different meaning to, but we certainly cover the industry on the blog, we report on trends. Um, there is, there's a lot of value there. We don't report it the same way we might have done stores, but, um, but I love the, the opportunities we have to still tell stories on the NRF blog. I have some involvement with it, but right now my focus has, has changed. Um, Inside NRF, when stores was going through its evolution, um, it was determined that if I could figure out how to put together a story and assemble the right voices in a story, then I could probably put together a panel for the various NRF events and tell the story on the stage. And so that's what I'm doing now. I'm working with the um, content and education team on all of our different um, conferences and and educational events. So certainly NRF is best known for its big show, but NRF Protect is the number two show underneath that in terms of its size and scope. And um, because of my involvement with LP, I'm the 
content lead for, um, which really just means that I have the privilege of working with those in the LP arena, um, NRF's LP executive committee and content committee to try to understand everything that's going on and hopefully create an educational program that has value. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I know you guys just recently came off a successful virtual event. I was lucky enough to moderate a session on self-checkout, which was awesome. But yeah, a lot of great feedback from the content of that uh, virtual event. And I know everyone's looking forward to get back in person, but I want to okay. step back a second because I, I bring you to our audience in this forum to really kind of talk about the retail ecosystem as a whole. And I know you were responsible for kind of creating some predictions and um, posted on the blog in December of 2020 was like, okay, what's up for 2021? So I want to kind of talk a little bit about that since we're mid-year and kind okay. of for our audience, take really the broad uh, retail prediction. I picked out a couple um, and relate it to the loss prevention space because you know, what's so cool is your knowledge and, and, you know, breadth and depth of like understanding this huge complicated industry and where it's going. It's like, you know, it seemed like it was moving at a glacial pace and then everything just went, went on complete speed from 2020, right? So 2020 being Absolutely. a shift to e-commerce, right? And then looking at 2021, you know, we've talked a little bit about, uh, I'll start with the one that hit me the hardest from an LP perspective was the transformation of supply chain. Mm -hmm. Because I think the pandemic, from what I've heard, really put a spotlight on some of these supply chain issues that were like, wait, what? We can't get that in two weeks or whatever. And um, I think, you know, clearly we're still feeling the, the pain of that. You know, when you go try to order furniture and you're like, wait, you know what? I mean, we're also spoiled getting things so quickly, yes. but and how that impacts retail. And I was, you know, looking at the ghost kitchens and micro fulfillment centers. And from your perspective, you know, doesn't that create a whole nother layer of things that LP people have to learn quickly? Because all of this went from, okay, you know, uh, we need to turn this mall into a micro fulfillment center because no one wants to come to the store anymore. And we have to get this things out. And, or, you know, that shift to e-commerce then moves to, the front end, back end, right? Supply chain right. and distribution. Um, talk a little bit about that and kind of the whole supply chain thing. You know, I think the whole supply chain thing is is all about everybody needing greater visibility, and then so that so that is part of it because if we know where the inventory is, we can manage um, our messaging to the consumer. I think, um, you know, when I think about some of the, the things that happen inside stores um, that the loss prevention community had to manage, um, it was because we didn't have enough on the shelves and that there's that crisis feeling of I need it, I want it, I've just come out of my house for the first time in three months and now you're telling me it's not on the shelf. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot to, a lot to process. So I think that one of the most important things is, is having the, the ability to use technology to see through to where that is and how to manage the expectation. But then we also have, um, there's a lot of uncertainty um, around moving the product. So we're hearing about the ships that are stuck in the port. We're hearing about ships that are, 
are actually just discarding cargo, um, which just blows my mind, but somebody's got to deal with that. Um, we've, we've got uh, contain shipping containers at the ports, but not enough trucks to pick them up because we don't have the drivers, we don't have the, you know, and sometimes we can move them to a rail yard, but a lot of that same density and issues with dealing with the volume of it is another problem. So, you know, the loss prevention role in supply chain, um, you know, I just think it, it comes down to, um, to managing all those pieces and having a seat at the table so that they can understand what that executive is dealing with and provide their expertise. I think that's the thing that I often hear about loss prevention is that if they were brought in sooner, that they have knowledge to convey that gets missed if they're not part of that conversation. So, you know, I, th I think a lot of what's happening in supply chain can just be supported by the LP team if they're if they're allowed to share their expert their point of view. Yeah, because you think about it, you know, like the just take the uh, toilet paper paper towel situation, right? Because if you're if you're in the room when you know the C level people are talking about seeing this coming. If you, if you even could, right? Oh man, if we're getting a run on this, it's gonna take a long time, right? That it's almost like you said, the earlier they know the better because it, then if they could trickle down the messaging of a limited quantity or when you have an upset customer, these are the things you should do before the people mm -hmm. come into the store and then you've got a de-escalation situation on your hands, which, you know, if you right. could see coming and look, all of this is a little bit, hindsight, we're all experts, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, the worst, the worst thing could do is that we don't learn anything from the crisis of the, of the pandemic, right? And so if you're sitting there with a supply chain person to say, you know, I may not understand every single thing that you're saying, and may, I may not need to, because I'm an expert in loss prevention, but at least I can forecast, we may have a problem here. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess one of the stories that I was really taken with, um, was shared by um, uh, Scott at Lowe's. Um, and I'm completely drawing a blank because I, I don't want to mess up his last name. Dreyer, so Scott Dreyer. There you go. Yeah. Um, and what he had shared was the closeness that was needed to work with operations to keep the stores, or to at first open the stores, and then to be sure that employees were safe and associates were safe. Um, and he shared a story about trying to use, you know, they, they realized they were going to need some sort of partitions um, to, to secure the people who were at the register yeah. um, and some of the areas where, I guess, in paint or some of those areas where you're one-to-one you're -one with a yeah. customer. Um, and they started looking into, can we get a loose site, whatever, how we're going to do this. And it, the backlog was tremendous. And so, you know we're a DIY, we're going to build it. Yeah, and so yeah. they did. Yeah. Um, and I just, I, I guess the, the, the perception is often catching bad guys and it's just so much bigger and it's what you're going to do to get the store to function and be sure it's safe. And I think that's the thing that, that came across for me so much in, in watching the role of loss prevention um, at, at 
in retail during COVID was they were just incredibly important across the board. And now they remain so uh, as our world has changed. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the other thing I'll point out about the predictions too is, you know, several things from touch-free technology to social commerce, um, 5G, live streaming sales, like to me, it had a ring of, you know, this digital transformation that you discuss in the article. And we'll put the, a link to the article in the show notes for everyone. But um, it, 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 I was thinking about digital fraud, right? That was the first thing yes. that kind of came to my mind about, man, if you're a loss prevention person that, you know, is not focused on digital fraud or doesn't know anything about digital fraud, it may be, a, a, I don't know, a year too late for you to start learning. But hey, if you're listening to this podcast, and you don't know anything about digital fraud, uh, you may want to look into that, right? I mean, clearly, I know our listeners out there are super educated, but you know, it does look like of all the things you mentioned from an LP perspective, that was the one thing that started ringing true for me. Like, oh man, this this is something that is like you need a course on it, stat, because it's so complicated. Yeah. Well, I think that that idea of no touch purchase options. Um, is only going to continue to bubble up and become more important. And I know that you, you know, everybody puts the tools in place to make it happen. And I understand the technology that is at, is at the foundation of that. But, um, but as a consumer and as, you know, the curious mind, I often find myself thinking like, well, sometimes registers go down. What happens when that system that's linked to your phone that, knows what you've purchased and, and immediately is, is, is sending that purchase to whatever de, you know, device you're using and it's set up inside you. What if that goes down? What if that techno, do we all have big five finger discounts? How is that gonna be managed? Um, and I think that, that it's really important that, that the loss prevention team talks about that. And I, I, I'm trying to think of examples because I've heard so many, and of course it's hard when you're on the spot to think right. about those, but um, I just, I think that's gonna be an important one. And I, and I think also as we talk about digital fraud, um, one of the sessions that was part of our Converge content um, was run by the Cardnock present team. And so they talked about the rise in trying to determine, you know, you, you don't want to ever use the phrase bad customer because there aren't bad customers, yeah. but there are sort of bad actors out there. Yeah. And, and retailers are charged with making those decisions on the fly, whether to accept a payment that comes across. And then they've set up all sorts of parameters to determine if that, that um, transaction is valid or not but they make that's a, that's a fine line yeah it is what, a very fine line what good customer is not going to go absolutely ape if theirs doesn't get approved right, right. and and then you're gonna it's not like um most people are gonna go ah, that's okay i'll try again it's like what you know especially in yeah. these days where tempers are a little short i might be speaking oh. for myself but <laughs> no you're absolutely right and and um, I can recall the conversation and, and the woman who was speaking said they absolutely meet weekly to keep looking at what did we see this week? In what way was it different from last week? And do we need to adjust? Because 
as, as we know, what's happening with digital fraud and in the whole cyber space, just, just almost daily, there's something new that pops up. I do not know how the cyber team keeps track, but God bless them, they do. Yeah. So, um, but there is that, again, the need for the loss prevention and the cyber teams to be working together to understand what is today's challenge, because it yeah. is that, that daily challenge and how are we going to fight it today and i think that you know cards not present and no touch purchasing all of these are amazing technologies that we need to embrace because the consumer is running headstrong toward that and saying my time is valid and it's, it's so important to me and i don't want to be online queuing up oh and and i don't want to be close to that person in front of me because yeah. they sneeze yeah you know, so there's all yeah. those <laughs> so I, you know, I got to do all of this stuff, but there are ripple effects that have LP implications. And I think that's important for us to keep at the front of our minds. Yeah. I mean, my, my look at it, like if you haven't read this article, you know, you need to read it quick because from a, all the executives that we've talked to, right. Is that, you know, being aware of your ecosystem in retail uh, mm -hmm. is vitally important, right? If your head's down doing your job, that's great. But you also need to educate yourself, you know, with things like this article to say, okay, outside of only publications that are specifically LP, I really need to broaden the scope because that's going to help me step back and go, what's coming, which is what loss prevention people do amazingly well if they're you know open and um educating themselves on this type of thing because you know you talked about pay over time being more popular and the subscription models of payments and of course i'm sure retailers are partnering with third-party people to do that but all it's all going to come down to your brand right so if you get a hack or you get, you know, a customer that paid one time, switched their card. I mean, all these LP people are like, nah, that's not how it happened. They they're, they're thinking how it would happen. But, you know, these are things that if you're not looking at these predictions that you are, you know, you, it's not your opinion. I mean, you're researching, you're, you're combining yeah. all of these facts to create this article, then you're, you're doing yourself a, a disservice, I would say. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, at the heart of this is, is crisis management and education, you know, so hopefully nobody has to manage the crisis and hopefully crisis of COVID proportions are far in our you know, rearview mirror, but yeah. nonetheless, there's so much changing in our world and there's so much changing at the mall, at the strip mall, in how we you know, and how we go out to dinner and what our expectations are of how we pay um, in the way we set up accounts. And if you start to think about how many subscriptions you have and how many credit cards they're linked to and, and how we ignore, consumers routinely ignore that your credit card is at risk. And they're just like, again, um, yeah. <laughs> so, and, and somebody pays is sort of what I yeah. end up thinking and too often it's the retailer. So, so recently I had uh, a situation where I was tracking a package because it was from a makeup company and I felt I really needed it. <laughs> um, so, 
it was supposed to arrive and it was supposed to, you know, midday, right? So on my phone, I get a notice that it's been delivered. So I have a camera monitoring the front of the house and I check and nothing. So I go there and I look around and of course I go to the, the neighbors and no package. So immediately, this is like within an hour of them telling me your package has been delivered, I'm notifying the delivery company, I'll leave the name off, and the retailer. Well, the retailer immediately says, we're so sorry that happened to you, we'll send out another package. The delivery company says, oh, that's not possible, you know, we're showing it was delivered. I said, I know, but this is what my story is. So they created a case number, and they said, within five to seven days, we'll get back to you. Well, the retailer sent out the new package and I did get that and everything was fine. But I went back to the delivery company and yeah. all I got were, so sorry, it sometimes happens. And I said, but aren't you gonna find out why it happened? Because yeah. I was angry on behalf. I almost wanted to write back to the retailer like they yeah. care at that yeah. point. Like, <laughs> I feel so bad for you. I'm yeah. your advocate because, because it, something happened there. It was yeah. not stolen off my front steps or that would have appeared on yeah. the Yeah, and all the of that camera. links it, back, like you're saying, to the brand. Right, and yeah. if I didn't know, who would I be angry at? Right. I directed my anger toward the delivery company because yeah. I've heard these scenarios, yeah. but most consumers are gonna direct it toward the retailer. And you right. said, and you didn't, why didn't you deliver it? Well, yeah. there's a trust that they handed it off to somebody and that's where, the process fell down. Yeah. Um, and it just, you know, I, I think that again, we were saying like somebody pays. Well, well, they I'm sure didn't pay what I paid, but it did cost them something yeah. Yeah. to replace everything in my package. It's yeah. not, you know, and I get onto my high horse of it's not fair. And why is the retailer having to, but yeah. Well, it's the same of, with the digital breach, right? I mean, someone's paying. Which I thought I, I learned recently, and this I thought was so interesting from uh, the Starbucks digital fraud uh, director there that, you know, back in the day when someone uses a false credit card at the restaurant, you know, the credit card company pays. However, if you have a mobile app that they're putting in their loyalty card to pay for their transaction, there's no one to blame. I mean, that pay, that, that pay goes to the, the, Starbucks in this case, right? Because, you know, it's digital. And I was like, wow, now that's incredible. If I understood that, that correctly. That's new to me. Yeah. That is incredible. Yeah. Okay. So um, anyway, that session's an RLPSA session. If you're curious to see if I got that right. Uh, but that's, that, that was like, wow, that's definitely ups the ante. Okay. So switching gears a little bit, you've definitely interviewed some, uh, interesting personalities from a retail side. So I wanted to give you a second, you know, to kind of let us know, like who you felt like the most interesting, you know, personality was you've interviewed retail or non-retail. I just thought it might be interesting. Okay. Well, you know, my world is retail. So yeah. I geek out over seeing certain retailers or certain brands. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm sorry, but that's the truth. Um, so over the years, as the editor of stores, one of the like little privileges, and, and I think it was a big privilege, was that in January, we used to award something called the gold medal, 
Um, and it was obviously for excellence throughout your career in retail. And I had the opportunity to interview so many amazing people um, through that forum. Now that, by the way, that medal is called the Visionary. We just kind of evolved the name um, and made it even a little more prominent. But two of the people that won the gold medal are just, just blew me away for different reasons. First one, um, I would mention is Charles Lazarus, and, and I would venture to say that most people listening to this podcast will go, who? Um, but Charles Lazarus was the founder of Toys R Us. And so, um, you know, when I interviewed him, it was probably at Toys R Us heyday. Um, so I'll say like late 80s, early 90s, probably early 90s in there, uh, 93, 94, something like that. I would have had young children. I went into it hearing from people like, he's an older man, he's been in retail all his life, he's a tough cookie, you know, yeah. one of those. Well, I got to the office and I had my, my questions prepared and we were gonna talk and it was like I was with my grandfather. I mean, by the end of the interview, he was just, you know, sitting next to me, pouring out all of this great information about why he founded Toys R Us, what it was like. It was based in, originally on a supermarket concept and how it had evolved and how he had seen toys change over the years. His absolute passion for watching children engage with toys in the store. I mean, it, it could have, I was just melted. You know, I, was, I, I had to turn off the the recording because you know I just don't know what to say <laughs> so he was that one stayed with me and and continues to obviously um and the other one that that really took me was um Gordon Siegel who's the founder of Crate and Barrel um and so I've always had sort of a Jones for kind of for Crate and Barrel indeed and for home kind of decor and stuff so the chance to interview Gordon Siegel was amazing. And he too, you know, took us back to the earliest days of why it's called Crate and Barrel and how they had no fixtures. And so they put everything on crates and they called it Crate and Barrel. And it was, he founded the company with his wife. And so it just that pure passion for retail. And then at the time they were getting ready to open a store. So he was like, I, you know, jump in the car with me. I got to go over to the store and we'll finish the interview over there. And to walk this, this soon to open store with the founder CEO of the company and to watch how people interacted with him, it was just amazing. They all knew him. They called him by his first name. Like, I don't think I, I'm comfortable with that. Yeah. <laughs> he was Mr. Siegel to me, yeah. but it was, and they asked his opinion on things and he would just fire off like, you know what? That looks great. No, no, no. You might want to try it another way. I'll come back to you. You know, I was just like, this is, this is my vision of retail. This is so hands-on and yeah. so passionate about, about what he did. So yeah. I, th those are the two that really stand out for me. That's really neat. I mean, it's always yeah. fascinating to me, you know, when you think about uh, as an owner of my own company, it's like looking at that and then how big companies get from just right. a man and a, and a wife is like, it's incredible. It's just, it's like defies logic, but all right. So switching gears again, talking about NRF and the upcoming protect and kind of 
NRF's commitment to, to loss prevention. I know um, you had a ton of great sessions in the virtual show, but also wanted to give you an opportunity yeah. to kind of talk about what NRF is doing for the loss prevention professional, how that's going to transform into uh, the big show from an in-person event perspective. And then also, right. um, I know you're in the super beginning stages of Protect, but I think it's going to make everybody happy talking about in-person events. Oh, we can't wait. I mean, um, <laughs> I, it, well, I don't like to say the, the D word. Um, when I talk to people. So right now we are, um, yes, we just came off Converge. We had uh, roughly 10 sessions that were devoted to loss prevention, asset protection, fraud, and cyber. And, um, and I'm happy to report that those sessions did quite well in terms of um, feedback from the, the folks who attended. Um, we asked people to rank the sessions and all of those sessions were a four out of a five. Well, we, the, the highest ranking was five, nothing scored below a four. So we were pretty pleased and a number of those sessions scored really, really well. So we know that we hit the mark there and the challenge is to keep raising the bar and hitting the mark. Um, I think what NRF is doing is, uh, is sort of multifaceted. It, when the pandemic hit in March of 2020, you know, and we were trying to figure out how could NRF stay engaged with retailers and with all of the communities that we represent. And one of the things, it was in April of 2020 when um, NRF launched what we called Operation Open Doors. So it was our way to, um, to continue to talk with the industry about how we were gonna get back to some degree of normal. Um, it was constantly providing information and about what we knew, what we were hearing from um, the contacts we have in DC. So Operation Open Doors ran through most of the year and then it became, as, as we were finally able to open stores, we've transferred it to something called Retail Reimagined. And so we've done a couple of webinars. Again, just trying to keep everybody educated about what we're seeing happening in the stores and how we can react to it. Um, I know there are two, two cyber sessions, come, webinars, These, those are being held as webinars and they will, two, two additional ones will take place in October. So something to keep an eye on there. Um, and we also, NRF does COVID updates at least twice a week. Um, so it's coming directly from Matt Shea and keeping people informed about where the various states are at and what the mandates are so that we're trying to just keep everybody educated and up to speed. Um, on the LP front, yes, we are starting to plan uh, for our June 2022 event. Um, Protect will be in Cleveland, Ohio, and it will take place from Monday, June 20th through Wednesday, the 22nd with um, a lot of meetings and executive content on the Monday and then, you know, the guts of what I am planning in terms of content on Tuesday and Wednesday. So we're working with um, our internal LP executive committee and, and uh, more aggressively with the LP content committee to understand what they consider most important. I mean, they're our boots on the ground. What are they hearing? Who do they think would be important for our community to hear from? Um, and we're trying to, to really understand um, once again, who our audience is, because yeah. you want to tailor your content to your audience. So we, we want to know who's who's going to come, what they want to hear. 
Um, and so, you know, I, it, it's sort of full steam ahead there in, and I would say to your audience, if there is something that you're, you feel like, you know, you don't get in terms of sessions at, at events or webinars, whatever, just shoot us a note because yeah. we're here to serve truly. I mean, that's NRF is, is the voice of retail and try to serve retail. So, so don't complain if, about the content. If you're not getting involved, <laughs> see, you're trying to say it nice, but I'll just say it. Like you got to get involved to, to send your feedback to NRF or you have no voice to that's complain. That's it. That's it. And, and definitely think, and I, I mean, to your point earlier about the loss prevention sitting in the center of all of these other disciplines inside of retail. So while Big Show does not have an LP track, so to speak, um, you know, we'll focus on people and operations and um, we'll talk about diversity and inclusion, and we'll talk about the retail experience and how it's evolving. And we'll talk about uh, new business models and projections for growth. Um, and so our theme for Big Show, Big Show takes place January 16th through the 18th in New York at the Javits Center. Um, and we will be in, there in person, damn it. Yes, <laughs> if we have to be in hazmat suits, we will be in person. So buy your flight. <laughs> what we're saying is, is that we're obviously, we're going to do whatever New York state dictates we right. do. Um, so but we're I, putting the positive vibes out there. We are, we are, you know what, if you like, you want to, you want to move out, on, yep. go ahead. Yeah. Let's move on. Let's get back to life. I'm for that. And our, our theme for Big Show is Accelerate. So we are speeding into the future of retail. I mean, I think I don't, I'm saying something that loss prevention executives know, but they too are speeding into the future of retail. And, yeah. you know, it, it's going to be quite the ride. Who knows where we're going? Um, I think I think they have so many challenges right now, as we have all seen, unfortunately, on national TV in the last few weeks, um, how, how to manage this changing world is something that I, um, I just put them on a pedestal and think respect because yeah. this yeah, girl not, would lose it. Yeah. I mean, it's not like it's even clear cut information, right? No. I mean, it's not even like everyone's on the same page, you know, I mean, just, it takes a global pandemic that we can't even get on the same page with that. And, so and the, yeah. the biggest retailers out there with a footprint across the nation yeah. have to deal with, well, in Washington state, they're saying we need to do this, but in Washington DC, we need to do that. Yeah. I, <sighs> I don't envy them. Um, I just admire them. And I think, um, I think they're ready for the challenges ahead, but I think they're going to be ample. Yeah, no doubt. Well, look, we really appreciate you coming into the hot seat at Talk LP. And I, of course, do, because I'm like total fangirling. So we appreciate it, Susan. And we'll put, so we can put your contact information in the show notes. Absolutely. So we can make good out. on the whole, don't complain, just give <laughs> feedback. So you can help shape the content for NRF Protect um, for all you listeners out there. So once again, thank you so much for coming on in to Talk LP Podcast. We really appreciate it. Amber, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. Cause, 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 no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it.